I'm Brian Jones. And I'm Seth Martin. And this this is is the Real Real Estate Estate Investing Show. So Seth, any follow up from last week? I really don't have anything. Yeah, well, just you know, talking about the commercial investing, you know, from last week, I talked to a couple people after the show, and that that's the direction I think everybody wants to go because commercial eventually is a true passive investment, you know, right? Especially if you have a property manager for that, because even property management on commercial is far more passive than say multifamily or. Or single family. I literally, on that note, I got a call last night at eleven forty-five. <laughs> I have a property in West Tennessee that sprung a leak because they didn't leave the faucet dripping, and it got too cold, and one of the pipes burst. Gotcha. Well, yeah. And there were people in the house. Yeah, yeah. Are they run it. How cold are they run in the house? I know, right? And so it was underneath the sink on the exterior wall, and I, I don't know if they don't have their heat on high or what. But we had the conversation of how to prevent this moving forward. So at eleven forty-five last night, I had to text my general contractor that's in that area and say, "Hey, I had them shut the water off, but you need to get over there as soon as you can in the morning." So he's actually there now. Man, well, you know that is the beauty of being a landlord. You know, <laughs> I, it's not all bad. You just got to get big enough and scale it enough to where you can leverage a little bit. So this is our final framework series in this little four part deal that we kind of put together, helping people figure out ways to get started and try to find a direction and where they want to go. So this is the fix and flip section and the wholesale hotel section. Don't worry, we'll get into all that. (laughs) Brian, you know, obviously this is a really core focus of your business. Right. So I'll let you kick it off and just, you know, I might fire a question or two for the for the guys listening. That sounds so. good. So yeah, so this year I'm focusing like uh, the last one that I did uh, on residential was the burst strategy. That's right. really my, my focal point for this year. Um, what I've done in the past for the most part has been fix and flip and wholesaling. That's kind of where I got my start. And I think that's where most people are going to get their start. And so what I'd like to do is just go over the frameworks that I use for fix and flip, wholesaling and wholetailing. Now, wholetailing is another beast that a lot of people haven't heard of. It actually just entered my lexicon uh, about three months ago when I met right. a guy who had mentioned that to me. But I'd like to start where I started, which is fix and flip. Okay. So you guys are going to notice that on a fix and flip, the uh, structure of the framework is very, very similar to uh, what it was in the burr strategy, right? right? Because it's essentially the same thing, except for you're not hanging onto the property in the end. So a little bit like build to sell. Yeah, it's exactly as right. As opposed to build to rent. That's yeah, exactly right. Exactly. And so why would you do burr? Uh, versus fix and flip, or why would you do fix and flip instead of doing burr? So the reason that you would do a fix and flip as opposed to burring the property is not because you don't want to just get your money back, right? You want a quick cash injection. You want a large amount of money that you didn't have before coming in and using it as your cash flow. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't want the monthly passive income. You don't want to just get your money back. You need a cash injection for whatever reason. Right. And so that's why you would do a fix and flip as opposed to a burr. So the, the structure is the same. So first you need to start is at finding a house. We discussed last two weeks ago how to do that. You can look on Zillow. You can talk to agents. You can drive for dollars, which is simply getting in your car, going around town, looking for houses that need work and going and door knocking and offering to buy the house with a cash offer. 
Uh, after you do that, after you find your house, same as last week or same as two weeks ago, you need to find your contractor, right? And so my recommendation is for anybody who does not have this already in place, go ahead and go to Zilla or go to uh, Google rather and type in contractors in my area. Get five of them to meet you there on the same day. Get a bid from each of them. Make sure they give you an itemized bid and then move forward with the best, most competitive bid after checking references. You got to make sure that you check the references on these guys because a lot of contractors will do you wrong. I have thankfully been around a great team who takes care of me. And then the last part or the the middle part rather is, is find the money, which is the easiest part out of all of these. When I say that, most people hear me say the money's the easy part. It really is. That's just so foreign to most people because they look at it and they're like, well, you can say it's easy because you may have that in the bank, but I don't have the money to buy this property and fix it up. Mm -hmm. You don't need that money. There are so many ways to where you can have 10% or less invested and still be able to do a flip. And there are certain ways that I teach that you have zero dollars invested. So anyway, so that finding the money is the easy part. If you can find the house, you can find the contractor that you trust, finding the money will come. All you have to do is present that to a hard money lender. Mm-hmm. You can, again, go on Google and search for hard money lenders in your area or reach out to me or Seth and we can hook you up with hard money lenders that operate yep. here in Middle Tennessee. Yep. Uh, and then you do the rehab. For the most part, unless you're going to be doing your own work, this is going to be kind of laissez-faire. You're not going to have your hands on this part of the process. I literally go to my flips once a week. That's it. And I go for a check-in to make sure that our progress is where it should be. We have a system set up that we use called Asana that allows me to track the progress. My contractor, every day after he gets done doing whatever they did for that day, goes in, completes that task off in Asana, and I can kind of track the progress. We literally, on our current flip, just submitted a 66% completion for a draw from our hard money lender yesterday. Got the funds wired same day. So uh, again, the rehab portion, unless you're going to do it yourself, you're going to be kind of laissez-faire on that. You don't want to have a lot to do with it because that's working in your business. That's not working on your business. You made that a big point last week Mm -hmm. when you talked about the commercial investing, how you have to, if you want to grow your business, you can't work in it. You got to work on it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's one of the traps that a lot of flippers fall into. They'll look at it and say, well, yeah, this guy wants $2,000 to install the floor. I can take a day and a half and do it myself for no cost. But you could have found another property to buy. You sure. know, that's, um, you know, a great resource is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. It's a great book. I actually think they're on like version 3.0, I think, or something. They've went and updated and added new things. And, and I actually think they have The E-Myth that's even specialized around certain industries. So even real estate, I, right. I'm pretty sure I don't want to be quoted on that. I have not read that one, but I have read the, the E-Myth itself. It's a great book for just kind of figuring out how to pull yourself out of your business and just see it from, you know, a 300 foot level and, or, or maybe a chessboard level and you're moving the pieces. You have to, mm-hmm. I mean, you absolutely have to, because if you're stuck dealing with plumbing issues like I just talked about earlier, <laughs> you know, we had a rental last night that sprung a leak. What did I do? I didn't jump in my car and go down there and fix it. I called my contractor and he's going to go do it and take care of it while we record this podcast. He's there working on it now. Well, so it allows you to, to continue the movement forward on your business while other people deal in the minutia and the smaller things that you can delegate. I heard this, you know, the reason I brought up the chess reference. 
is it's a quote that a friend of mine said. I, I don't know if he stole it some from somewhere or if it's just you know an original. Uh, and and you have to know the guy to understand why he says it this way. He's not meaning this in any time. You would you you wouldn't put it past him to be able to put, come up with something like this. But all of his stuff is really like kind of like a little bit to take you aback. You're kind of like what. Right. So, so Robert Kiyosaki goes into that a lot in the rich dad, poor dad, a lot of the conversations and a lot of the ways he, he teaches uh, the child to, to go ahead and, and grow his business. Rich dad does in the book mm-hmm. is by delegating tasks to people who can take care of those while he's growing the overall business. Mm-hmm. And it's just uh, at some point you're going to reach a plateau if you're not delegating work. I mean, I reached that point to where now I don't do any of my own marketing. I don't do any of my own graphic design. I don't do any of that. I, or the audio, the audio for this podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to sit down and do all this stuff. Right. What do I do? I outsource it to professionals who get it done in a day or two, and I don't have to think about it. I can keep doing my thing. And it's not eating up a lot of your brain power. Exactly right. You know, and, that's, and just my time. It's funny. We're, you know, I've I've put together about four different feasibility studies in my career for for decently sized, large developments, you know, if I'm doing an infill construction deal, I'm not dealing through full blown feasibility. I'm right. just looking at comps, putting together pro forma and that's it. But I say that to say, I will never put one together again myself ever again. No, absolutely. Not. I will <laughs> gather a lot of the information. You know, I, uh, we just started doing one right now. What I do is I gather the information that I know. I have a particular table of contents and structure that I want in it. I create a Google folder. I put, X in there. I, you know, put my table of contents in there with a checklist and, and I actually use a song too, which is funny. And I've got a guy that I hire that literally puts together the, the quote unquote pitch deck slash, cause that's what a pitch deck or that's what a feasibility study is. It's basically right. a pitch deck. It is. And so, um, you know, they are able to do all the graphic design on it make it look pretty because when I put them together they're you know, I can do that, but Number one, I never like it. Right. No matter how great some, I can show it to someone else and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Great job. And I don't like it. Well, because you know, it's not your area of expertise. Right. You're always going to feel that somebody else's work where they specialize in this and that's the only thing they do. You've got all these other things you've got going on. You can't wear the hat, the, the, all the the hats, all the hats in your business. You just can't do it. Yep. So, um, and then the last thing of the fix and flip process is list it. And if you're not an agent yourself, you do have the option to go for sell by owner. But frankly, the pure and simple fact is if you list with an agent and you're not an agent, you're generally, I think the National Association of Realtors has, has put on there or showed a study that it has shown that they sell faster, something like 30% faster and generally for 5% more than what you would have gotten on your own. Because again, you, you're not an expert in negotiating repairs and negotiating closing costs and things like that. That's why you pay the agent. Yes, you have to pay a commission, but you know, eat the bullet, go ahead and do it. You're going to sell it faster. You're going to sell it for a little bit more money as far as net most times. Right. Uh, and again, if you guys need help with any of that, Seth or I could, could help you out and talk to you about it. For sure. Uh, if we're not the right agent for you or we're not in that area, we can refer you over to somebody exactly. if we have somebody. So, you know, For example, I don't do a ton of residential. Right. But, you know, you do, um, my significant other does, I mean, we can get you the right person. Right. right. And, and even if it's not somebody in this area, like I said, if it's outside the state or if it's, um, you know, it's a different part of the state yeah. and we have listeners over there who might be agents mm-hmm. and we check them out, vet them and make sure they're a good agent. 
we can push them that way. Sure. Um, and so that's kind of the fix and flip. Um, again, after you list your, your payoff for a fix and flip is obviously not long-term cash flow. Sure. If you wanted that, you'd be doing the burr. Um, but for fix and flip, it would be a large lump sum. So generally what I like to target is at least a, um, at least a $20,000 profit on any of these fix and flips. Right. Um, so if I can add 20,000 or more to my pocket when it's all said and done, then I may consider flipping it as opposed to burying it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so just a simple, simple, uh, math on that one would be, or a simple example for that one would be if you buy a property for a hundred grand, it needs 50 grand, uh, of work. So you're at 150 all in. If I can sell it after all expenses, all commissions, everything, and I can sell it and get 170 out of it, I'm likely to sell that and flip it as opposed to burning it. Look, right. I've got one right now that we talked about earlier where I bought for 27, I've got 80 in it or 85 in it, uh, and it will sell for 200 all day long, probably 215. That's mm -hmm. over 100 grand. Right. And so that one, there's absolutely no way that I would ever consider burning that one. That one is, if I, if I go ahead and sell that one and then I cash out on it, that gives me enough capital to probably do four or five more burrs. Right. And so, I mean, there are certain deals that will make way more sense as a fix and flip as opposed to a burr. Right. And so that's when you would employ this strategy or this framework. Okay. So a few questions that I think listeners would ask would be, number one, when you're analyzing these deals, what are the main factors that you look, up, you look at besides what it's going to cost to renovate it and what you know, what you can buy it for. What are, what are some of the other things that you look for that they would need to be aware of? Yeah. So, I mean, you got to make sure you're factoring in sales costs. You got to mm -hmm. make sure you're factoring in hard so your soft co costs, your, your soft costs. Yeah. Right. You've got to make sure that you actually mentioned this on the commercial the, or on the build to sell or build to rent, mm -hmm. the absorption rate. Mm -hmm. You got to make sure that you're in a price point that can absorb uh, another house. I mean, if you, right. if your price point, let's say that you're going for a 350 or $400,000 price point on a particular flip, and you look and you see that it's taken 45 days to turn one property, you probably want to try to find a house that's lower in price point that can be absorbed a little bit more quickly. You yeah. want to limit your days on the market because the more you're on the market, the longer you're on the market, rather, uh, the more your hard money costs or your holding costs are going to go up. What about construction time? I mean, personally, I like to be in and out in 35 days. Mm -hmm. That's not feasible for most people. Mm -hmm. Most people, you know, 60 to 90 days is a good turnaround. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my goal again is 30 this year. So I have to be in and out in 35 days. That's, that's good. You know, a lot of people also, like, like you just talked about with the absorption rate, you're looking to have it rehabbed within 30, you're saying, or you're trying I, I to- want it, I want it completely rehabbed and on the market in 35 days. Gotcha. And then hopefully you're looking for a day on market of 30 days or less. Or less, yeah. Yeah, so- Okay. That's great. That's yep. great. And then, so that's kind of the fix and flip model. The next thing I want to talk about is wholesaling, which this is one you can literally do with zero money involved. I mean, none at all, just some time. So wholesaling is the practice of finding dist uh, distressed sellers or properties, putting an assignable contract on them, and then assigning them to another investor for a quick profit or assignment fee. So we kind of talked about this earlier when I had mentioned, um, you know, my uh, the the property that I talked about for Carter's mm -hmm. Creek, where I ended yes. up having to release the assignment. And I did not close on that property. And it was an assignment fee that or it, it was a situation where I felt like I'd failed the seller. OK, I do not put assignments or contracts on properties unless I intend on closing them. And I, I hate having to go to a seller and say this is not going to work out. In that particular scenario, there were there were defects with the property that I was not made aware of where, I, you know, I, I just simply could not move forward. And so I didn't feel as bad on that one. 
But my whole goal as being a wholesaler is to provide value for the investors that I serve, meaning the ones that I wholesale to that are on my cash buyers list, and also to not leverage or not, not leverage myself or put myself out there with sellers unless I intend to close the property. Right. And so the, the way you find a wholesale property is exactly the same way you find a fix and flip. You drive for dollars, you make phone calls, you can go on Zillow for sell by owners. You just got to get them to a situation where they are willing to come off the property for less than what it's actually worth. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because generally an investor is not going to buy a property at more than 70 to 75% loan to value or or 70 to 75%. Less expenses as well. Exactly right. And so if you are able to go in and have a, a seller sell you their property or let you put it under contract for 65 cents on the dollar, you can expect that you're going to be able to get five cents on the dollar right. to, a, to, to an, uh, an end investor who will flip right. the property themselves. So um, what, what do you think, you know, from an investor, you know, a starting investor standpoint, they should look for when it comes to motivating factors? Because again, we're in a market that moves quick. Wholesaling can't be that easy for most people, correct? It, it's not. Um, but I, I will tell you, I have a girl who pulled me into her house to talk about investing I don't know, six months ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was right before Thanksgiving of last year, 2019. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to know about doing fix and flips. And we kind of talked. They didn't have any money saved back to where they can do fix and flips. Mm -hmm. Uh, They didn't want to do hard money and then find an investor. Like we've talked about my Mm -hmm. gap investor strategy. They wanted. So so anyway, I ended up convincing her she needed to start trying to wholesale. So I kind of gave her the framework on how to start doing it. Kind of like the exact spiel that I'm giving you guys now. And then I told her to go connect with people on Facebook, their groups, just type in wholesaling real estate on Facebook, join mm-hmm. every group that you possibly can, and just learn as much as you can from these people. Since before Thanksgiving of last year, so we're talking four and a half months now, almost five, she's made $90,000 in wholesaling assignments. Wow. And that's on four properties. Her name's Candace. She lives in the old neighborhood that I used to live in. And she lives in a modest home, literally she could almost pay her house off with that money that she bought or that, that money she made rather. Wow. And <laughs> so, so is she just driving for dollars or what is she, what is she doing or a combination? She's or? doing phone calls. So, and, and the, the places she's looking, and this is kind of going back to your original question, you look for people who are going through divorce. You look for people and this is all public record, right? right. You, you can find people going through divorce. You can find people who have passed away. You look for people who are behind in taxes, things like that. So right. there are resources out there. Pre-foreclosures are another good one. So mm-hmm. Zillow will give you a lot of that. I mean, they won't give you all of it. And there's other places to look. Uh, and we've talked about our feelings towards Zillow on this on this podcast. So <laughs> I'm not trying to keep you yeah. know sending people there. But you know the reality is, is they're a really good resource right now. Right. They are one of the best resources to be able to compile all this information in one place. Mm-hmm. So that's how you would find those deals. So again, the framework is... Find a, a seller uh, or drive for dollars. Look for people who've gone through divorce. Look for people who are, uh, you know, who've had family members who passed away who may have inherited a property. And then see if you can get them to sell you their property at less than 70% loan to value. Gotcha. Uh, if you can, or I'm sorry, after rehab value. If you can do that, then generally there's enough room in there. Whatever that percentage is you sell at, whether it be 65, 68, whatever. That spread between your percentage all in and the 70% mark that we discussed earlier, Mm -hmm. that's the amount of assignment you're able to make. Biggest mistake a wholesaler can make is that they can get a property at seven, let's say they get it at 69%. 
you maybe make a quick two grand on it, right? It's not a huge, a huge right. assignment fee, but then they go out and they market it for $10,000 assignment fee. So they're actually eating in to the flipper's profit and they're going to be at, let's say, 74, 75% ARV. Most investors aren't going to do that. They're going to see that the assignment's too high and they're either going to make you a low ball offer or they're not going to make you an offer at all. And you never know how many investors you're driving away just by trying to oversell that 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 assignment. So right. just don't get greedy. If you find a deal that doesn't have a ton of room, just try to make sure that you can wholesale it for 70 cents on the dollar. Yep. If you can do that, you create your own spread. For sure. And then wholesaling was uh is the third and final one we're going to go over today and it's it was one that was just recently introduced to me a few months ago. I had never heard of it. I thought the guy didn't know what he was talking about when he said wholesaling. I was like, "Do you mean wholesaling?" I'm like, I, I thought maybe he just he misheard somebody say it. And that's kind of what stuck with him. He's like, no, man, I mean, wholetailing. And I'm like, well, explain to me what that is. And he said, basically, it's a combination of two different real estate investing strategies. It's wholesaling and flipping all combined into one. OK, um, but it's without the hassle of the large expenses and a full blown flip. So essentially what it is, is that you'll buy a property for, let's say, 65 cents on the dollar. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you'll go in and you'll put new flooring in it and maybe paint the interior or the exterior to make it more appealing to an investor. Or here's a really good one that you can use as a hotel. Let's say it's a hoarder house, okay? And there's six bins worth of crap that you have to get out. And we're talking the big bins, the 20 yard bins. You can go in, you can clear the property out, make it way more appealing to 99% of investors out there. Mm -hmm. And then once you do that, instead of just selling it, let's say you got it for 65 cents on the dollar. Instead of selling it for 70 cents on the dollar, maybe you can bump that to 72 cents on the dollar because you've done the part of the work that that investor really does not want to do. Right. Especially if it's somebody who does the work themselves, the worst part of a flip is having to take all the previous owner's junk out and getting rid of the nasty urine stained carpet and all that stuff, right? <laughs> and so if you can do that, you can go and strip the carpet out, make it a little bit more appealing to your investor to just come in and buy it. They can calculate that into what their rehab value is or the rehab cost is going to be. And then they can move forward and you can do what's called a hotel deal and sell that to them after doing uh, putting a little bit of work into the property. So all three strategies are really good. I've never done a hotel deal. So it, it is not a strategy that I'm intimately familiar with. My bread and butter is wholesaling, flipping, and burr currently. Right. So that's about it for those three frameworks. It's, uh, it, it, I think the first starting point for most of you guys is probably going to be wholesaling like it was for me. And then I quickly, after my first wholesale, transferred into fix and flip. And then after about a year and a half, of success in fix and flip, I converted to Burr. A week in our shoes, Seth. What happened with you this week? Oh man, I'm I'm not going to get super long winded on this today. There's been a lot. I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really am. I'm just going to bullet point a couple things. I, I want to just tell you real quick. I, I had a conversation with somebody who listens to the show every week, and they said he is like a shotgun. And you're like the choke. You have to make sure that when he starts going off, because he's got really good information, mm -hmm. that you rein it in. Oh yeah, no doubt. It back in. No doubt, no doubt. I don't disagree. <laughs> but just bullet pointing today, this week, and that's we hired my my partner and I on the broker side. Hired my assist. I hired an assistant this week. It's okay. actually my brother. You know, he's just getting into the real estate business. He has had. He's worked really 
a really difficult job for majority of his life. I mean, he worked for um, Canal Barge. I'm not sure if you know what that is, mm-hmm. but he was an engineer for them. Uh, he did that for, I mean, I don't even know how many years now, but came out of it on the other side, decided he wanted to get out of the business. It's, it's a rough life. I mean, it's you're on the boat for 30 days and then you're home for 30 days. So, you know, starting a family's tough. All those kind of things are tough. And so he was getting pretty serious with his his significant other and he decided to quit. And at the time was, you know, towards the beginning of last year and my business was freaking going crazy right. and then he quit his job and with plans to get his real estate license and then he, he he'll tell you he struggled a little bit getting the license and then my business of course i talked about had a terrible end of q3 and q4 last year had and so fall apart right? yeah and so it was just a struggle for me to you know to get him hired at the time which was my original plan but now we've kind of got back into the groove things are going well and we were able to bring him on and you know it's great for him because he he wants to get into the real estate part of of being a broker, but he has the same aspirations as me as far as you know wanting to own property and and become you know more of a passive investor. And it's just it's great. I know people say all the time, you know, you shouldn't work with friends and family. I think that's total horse crap. I think if you have clear expectations up front, and you know you're respectful of each other and their time and their money and their families and all those things, you have to be respectful. At the end of the day, it's a great situation because there's nothing better than sharing things like that with your family. I think I've heard a stat. I think it was on, we talked about Marcus Lemonis being kind of both mm-hmm. of our mm-hmm. uh, mentors, just somebody we aspire to be. Mm-hmm. I think at some point on one of his shows, he said that something like 65% of all businesses that are owned are actually family businesses. Yeah. And, and it shouldn't be that way. I mean, my mentor's business is a family business. Right. And he does so well, you know, and I think, again, it's just about being respectful. Do Are you going to have disagreements about things? Sure. But you have disagreements with everybody. You just can't let it because it's your brother or your sister or your spouse, spouse or your mom or your dad or whoever. It can't be it can't go to a personal level just because you have an even more interpersonal relationship. Right. And so that was one thing that we got done this week. And then the other thing is, is with my mentor and partner, we've been you know, we've talked about the build to rent thing and we took a couple of steps closer to a couple different developments that I'm very, very excited about. and we spoke to a national home builder that would be a partner in this. You know, a lot of these bigger national home builders like Lennar and Pulte and some of these guys are getting into the build to rent business. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, not not a lot of people know about it. They're, they're doing it under other names. And so it's not, yeah. I mean, they, they're not trying to interfere with each other's brands. Right. Right. So um, they're, but they're doing it and partnering with these guys puts us in an interesting situation. These guys, their, their sales director here or the, I guess, no, construction director here. Um, I met actually through LinkedIn and he and I became friends pretty quick. And he actually has already introduced me to a huge fund out of Kansas City who actually have a relationship with my mentor. So all these like pieces are starting to to converge. And so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I think it can mean great things because the team is there. You know, yeah, we're going to have to add pieces here and there. but the core is built and it's just now about everybody committing, getting on the same page of financially and all that stuff. So it's very exciting. That's pretty much the the week that I've had. Sounds like a productive week. Yeah, it it was good. So um, I was going to say, what about you? (laughs) Yeah, As far as uh, mine was concerned, I, uh, you had a great week. I had a humbling week. 
That happens um, to us all. It does. It does. So, I mean, look, the situation, guys, is that you can never get to a point to where you just don't want to listen to other people, where you think you know it all. And I found myself in that position this week. I had comped a property and I was 100% confident in my comps on a property. And I made an offer and I got it under contract. And uh, prior to putting it under contract, I'd sent it out to a broker friend of mine who comped it as well, who said, this is what I expect your ARV, your after rehab value to be. Was it and similar to yours? It was. Yeah. It was. And so the one thing that we didn't actually, there was a couple of things that we didn't know about the property that ended up coming to light a little bit later. And uh, unfortunately, they came to light after my inspection period was over. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> And so I put it out uh, to a lot of investors to try to get uh, to wholesale the deal, essentially. And it's one we talked about, I think, two weeks ago, the one where I was going to make a $25,000 profit on the wholesale assignment. Well, the guy who was going to buy it discovered these two facts that I just told you about that I didn't know, Mm. uh, which was one was a one part of the house was a converted carport. That was not permitted. And the other one was a two car garage that was converted that was not permitted. Now, can I ask you a quick question? Yes. What county is this in? It's in Murray. Okay. So I don't know that well. I was going to say because I actually, and I I know we've kind of talked about this deal, but we didn't talk about that part. Um, In Davidson County, there's, I don't want to call it a loophole because it's not, but. there's a way you could have got around it. I don't know if you can in Murray County, but we can talk so, about that after the show. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the reason why we got very gun shy on it quickly after mm-hmm. finding that out was because we have I have a, a partner, a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. He does all of my maintenance on all of my rentals that I have mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all the rentals that we manage for other investors. Right. Uh, he owns a construction company and he does his own flips. Well, he is in the process right now of ripping out 600 square feet. We talked about this, I think, on the first or second episode. We're in, he's in the process of ripping off a 600 foot addition because it was unpermitted and it was over the line of the, uh, over the line for the uh, property line. Mm-hmm. And so he is, uh, he literally just had to rip off 600 square feet of his profit and multiply that. I'm guessing he wasn't over the property line, but he was in the setback. Maybe? No, he was actually over the property line. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, it's even worse. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it just made us very gun shy. And so anyway, after finding that out, uh, also weighing the risk of it being right beside a brand new fire department, which I knew that going in, that wasn't a huge detractor for me because it's a million dollar fire station going next door. Mm-hmm. But it was that in conjunction with the not being permitted that just really made it too uncomfortable for me to, for me to move forward. And, and I didn't back out of that contract lightly. I mean, I, I pride myself on being a wholesaler who does his research, gets all that stuff done. And on the properties I wholesale, if I don't wholesale them to another investor, I close on them. That is like my one rule that I will not put a contract on a property unless I will close on it myself if I don't wholesale it. But unfortunately, because of all the stuff that came to to light later, I did end up having to uh, send a release on that contract. And it was outside of my inspection period. And I forfeited my earnest money, which I was happy to do because it's better to lose that amount of money than to possibly lose 30, 40, 50,000 later down, on the, down road. the road. Yeah. What did, uh, did you... Did you talk to the seller about possibly lowering Trying, your offer? I did. And, I stuff? did. Yeah. And, and they had it for sale by owner on Zillow, and they had a ton of interest prior to me putting my offer in, and mm-hmm. so they had no interest in lowering it at all. Gotcha. So, guys, if you have any questions about any of these strategies, or you need to get in contact with us, just take a look at us on our Facebook group. Uh, it is the Real Estate Investing Show on Facebook. 
Also, you can go to the realestateinvestingshow.fm or email us at the realestateinvestingshow@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And that's it for this week's episode. So diet investments is indeed a thing now. Yes, it is. I, I It was a pretty fruitful partnership for me yeah. yesterday. <laughs> we don't have to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just funny thing. And this is just, you know, for future people that are aspiring to be investors, make sure you learn contracts really well. Make sure that you, you know, spend some time. Maybe if you have a friend that's a contract attorney or whatever, just kind of understanding the ins and outs because you should review everything. You multiple should. Multiple times. You should. And, you know, we would have, one of us would have caught it, but it was funny. We had talked to a local attorney that we know and had them draft up a partnership agreement and um, sent it over yesterday. And Brian um, sent it over to me and I started looking at it really quick and noticed that one of the paragraphs spelled out that Brian had to pay me $3,000 a month. I was very <laughs> excited about this partnership. Um, but uh, no, I, we caught that and got it fixed. And then, so as then you- I got to tell on it because it, it, this is what makes this whole podcast thing fun. <laughs> so then the, the cost to register an LLC in Tennessee is right around $300. And he registered the LLC for us yesterday. And <laughs> he, you know, my portion obviously is 150 bucks. And, I got a request on a money sharing app and it was, or not a request. It was a, a notification that Brian had paid me 150 bucks. I so was supposed I'm to request com- the 150. Right. And so I'm coming out like a bandit in this partnership already. Like full disclosure, guys, if you want to have a great partnership in real estate, contact Brian Jones because he is the man. <laughs> so, so here's what happened. We have a real estate attorney that's a mutual friend. He works for a title company. He does this kind of stuff on the side. Uh, he creates partnership agreements and stuff and charges a fee. Right. And so, well, hold on. Let's come back to the story in a second. Why, why are you, why, what's going oh, on? What just I, so last year I kind of went on a little, towards the end of the year, went on a little cold calling campaign. Yeah. Um, for some more off-market development right. property. Smaller well, developments. Just so you guys know, while I was talking, he was doing the yes, yes. The, the, the yes hand signs, and that's why everything came to a pause. So go ahead. Exactly. So um, had talked, have talked to a few seller or potential sellers. They're all off-market, which, you know, it was kind of a discovery for me. Guys, people that say cold calling doesn't work anymore are full of it. They are. I made about yeah. 30 calls. I, 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 I mean, obviously, I know you have certain you know, stuff where you're like the do not call list and things like that, where people don't want to be contacted, but it's all about your frame, right? I'm reading a great book right now, pitch anything highly recommended. And that's what it's all about, but your conversation frame control, you know, I, I don't want to come to someone that's off market and pitch them something, right? Right. Per se, but I want to figure out what, they want and what they need in their lives. Sure. And if I can help provide that and provide a win-win opportunity for both of us, that's what I'm looking to do. Yeah. So that being said, I made some calls last year towards the end of the year. I, I really only made, I, I highly targeted about 50 properties in an right. area that of greater Nashville that I know is growing. They were small to medium sized developments, anywhere from three acres to around 10 acres. Right. And 
I'm assuming I had some, you just got a text. I really had some great <laughs> success and made a lot of contacts there about the discussions. And there was one particular property that I was really interested in. It's it's about seven acres, but about only five of it's buildable. There's a creek that runs along the back of the property. Right. And um, it was we kind of already discussed what she wanted for it, what her plans were for it, all that stuff. And it really made some great alignment. Well, then she had some family issues that had happened towards the end of the year. And so... I kind of just backed off because uh, sure. I don't want to disclose what happened with her, but it was a very, very emotional situation. Right. And so I just kind of backed off and said, you know, you reach out to me when, you know, you guys are ready to try to make a move on this. And to kind of explain what this deal would be, this would be a partnership with this landowner. I would be developing and building all the homes um, that we would be building on this place. And I would actually probably do it as a build to rent deal. Right. She's going to stay in as a partner. Okay. So I'm going to be able to create you know, generational, some generational wealth for her. That's cool. And for myself. I like that. And so she just finally messaged me back. I've been, this has been about four months. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of thought she maybe it went dark a little bit or whatever, but she just sent me an email just now and said, Hey, my life's finally slowed down. I'm ready to really start making moves. That's on awesome. This. So congratulations. Woo! <laughs> Love when you land deals on the show. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> um, so going back to what we were talking, that, that's fantastic, man. But going back to what we were talking about, we have a friend who's a, uh, an attorney, does these contracts. And uh, I assume what happened was he had just recently did one <laughs> and he copy and boilerplate. That's what they like to Mo call it. Yeah. And they boilerplated so. it. And then he just sent it over and didn't realize he had some stipulations mm -hmm. that were. Yeah. I'm sure it was for a different a scenario, you know, a different partnership right. and somebody that was the way it worked. You know, like, for example, I mean, I've had similar partnerships with JV partners where maybe they are the primary money investor. Right. I, I might be only bringing a small portion to the table. And, um, but I'm doing majority of the work. Well, right. what ends up happening, believe it or not, though, is it might be two ways. So I might, if it's a bigger development, that's longer term, I may have what we call a management fee in there where the partnership pays me X number per month or X percentage per completion or whatever, sure. right? There's a lot of different ways to skin that cat too. We don't have to get into all those today, <laughs> but there's that. And there also might be a situation where let's just pretend it's a million dollar project. Just keep the numbers real. And, you know, maybe we're doing a fifth. It's a brand new development and the bank where you can only get a 50 percent, you know, LTV loan, which is very common in development. So we've got to put up 50 percent. Sure. Maybe I'm only putting up one hundred thousand and he's putting up four hundred thousand. We may have a arrangement in there where. His additional portion, which would be three hundred thousand between our difference, where I'm paying interest, or or the the partnership is paying interest right. to him on a monthly basis. Sure. The money's in there to to run, and, and you know, that's basically what this looked like to me. Is there was some kind of monetary relationship, right. and anyway, it was funny because Brian and I are both obviously contributing the same amount equally, to the right. equally. So right. there's no point for that being in there. I mean, I loved it personally. I mean, <laughs> it's out now, you know, but uh, <laughs> we had to get rid of it I, to, to be fair. Cool. Um, so uh, lastly, uh, that um, the, the, the contract is done. Mm -hmm. Did you get a chance to review it? I have, I have, okay. oh, you're talking about the, the quad contract. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. Also, you know, to kind of piggyback on, some of the other things we've been talking about, uh, Facebook page has been blowing up lately. It has. With, it's really the, the group. Uh, yeah. The group. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to kind of talk to you about Avery. I actually have known Avery for a little while and he's just trying to get into the business, you know, is, saved up a little State money. Farm? No, he works for FedEx. Okay. I, but, I saw him one. I, I looked him up on Facebook and I saw him in like a state. Farm state shirt. Farm shirt. Yeah, yeah. I think it's FedEx, but okay. he's been actually requesting to 
maybe talk to you actually, because he's trying to do some flips or maybe some wholetailing and wanted to maybe, you know, basically just be a shadow on the wall, help you with whatever you need help with. You know, it's kind of like an intern kind of thing. And so, yeah, he DM um, me and I was going to say, I wondered if he did, he did. And he sent me four zip codes that he's interested in and asked how, you know, what he could do to help me. And I basically told him what you tell everybody to bring me a deal yep. and let's look at it together and see if yep. it works. And if it works, I'll pay you a finder's fee. Mm-hmm. So, and, that, and I think that's the biggest thing. And, you know, and Avery, if you're listening, which I know you said you listen to the show every week now, but when you bring that deal, you know, don't just bring a deal and get paid on the finder's fee. Stick around, see how it works. Like that's, that's the point of, of learning this business is you want to get a situation where you're making a little money and you're learning the business. That's the ideal situation when getting into real estate. Yeah, because you don't want to just make a thousand bucks every couple of, you know, every couple of months no. when you happen to stumble across no. a good deal. When, like, I mean, as an example, you know, that property that I bought for 27 grand that should have went for almost a hundred if it wasn't mm. for all the, you know, rock work and stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I could have made a quick five grand on it as a whole, as an assignment. But why in the world would I do that when I have $150,000 worth of room? You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, and you could probably do fifty grand worth of work and be in well. It's really gonna good be eighty three, so we're we're still oh, gonna oh, be wow. about a hundred grand. I mean, a hundred grand in profit when we flip wow. it in the end. But that's great. 